I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Leaf Report with Canadian Press National Hockey writer Jonas Siegel and The Globe and Mail's James Myrtle. Okay, James, we are, I think, five weeks into the season? No, four weeks. Four weeks into the season. Uh, lots happened so far. The Leafs have played well at times, not so well at times. We're recording this on, what is this, Thursday, uh, a couple days after they got beat 7 nothing. One of the kind of the, the underlying storylines right now with the Leafs is Austin Matthews. That line has, has quieted down, at least production-wise, in the last little while, he's got one and seven going into the game against Philly. Do you think it's anything but, you know, some of the chances that they've had aren't going in? Or do you see a, a slowdown? Do you think he's being judged unfairly? What do you think of, of the situation right now with Matthews and, and maybe that line specifically? I think part of it's that. I mean, I think part of it is that they're getting the chances and all those things. But I also think part of it is, I mean, to me... In person and on the ice, I think that Matthews looks like he's worn out and tired, and I don't know if that's the World Cup or if that's he had such a short summer with everything that happened with the draft or he's not used to how frequently they're playing because of he was in Switzerland. There hasn't been a lot of attention on this yet, but I mean, to me in person, I mean, you can maybe you you have a different opinion, but like I think that Austin looks really, really tired, and um, 
I think that that's part of what we're seeing on the ice. Now, he's still playing well. They're still getting a lot of chances. The other thing, too, is I don't I, – I understand why they have Zach Hyman on that line, and he's a good possession player and all those kinds of things. But we're seeing a lot of offensive chances kind of die on in his area of the ice. And uh, I think Zach Hyman's a really good utility player. Uh, penalty killing, his numbers are the strongest right now in the Leafs in terms of shot attempt suppression. I think he's a good fit there, but in terms of playing him with probably your two most skilled forwards on the entire team, I'm not sure that that necessarily is working out the way that they want it to. Well, we know from Mike Babcock's days in Detroit that he likes having kind of that mucker with the two skill guys, like Justin Abocator was kind of his guy. Uh, He'd play him sometimes with Datsuk. Obviously, I think the guy people look at and say he would be a fit on that line is Soshnikov, who who obviously has come back from the Marlies. Looked pretty good so far. You know, he has a bit more skill, I think, uh, than Hyman. He's faster. He's less of kind of a straight-line player like Hyman is. Uh, but I don't know. Like, it's it's they're still creating chances. Like, it's not like they're, not, they're going a whole night and you're not noticing them at all. Are they quiet? Yes. I also think you have to remember, like, he's 19. He's playing his first games in the NHL. It's a hard league. Like, it's hard to adjust. Do you think the the, the start that he had of the season, you know, he gets the four goals. He has, I think, 10 points in his first six games. Do you think that inflates expectations a little bit that maybe now when he slows down, you know, people are like, yeah, what's going on? Why aren't you getting a point every other night? And then you've got Lion A, obviously, you know, with two hat tricks. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think coming into the year, I think I had Matthews down for 55, 60 points, that that would have been a really good year. And you look at what rookies have done recently, and that, I mean, that's typically, that's good enough to win the Calder, right? A season like that. And that's kind of where I thought he would be. And then those, I mean, those first initial games, he has a four-goal game, he puts up all those points, and I was thinking, okay, well, maybe, maybe he's going to be a point-a-game guy as a rookie. You know, maybe he's going to be more than that. So it's not just fans and and other people i mean it's media expectations everybody's expectations we're all of a sudden thinking that matthews is going to do something pretty amazing and it's going to be interesting with patrick line i mean i'm a bit surprised that he has produced as much as he has and you know shifley's the top leading scorer in the nhl right now i i shifley is one of those guys on that young guns team that surprised me more than anyone else you know i knew mckinnon was good i knew you know, I knew obviously McDavid was good. I was expecting Matthews to make an impact, but Shifley really, really impressed me because he stood out. And, and you know, the Jets could be a surprisingly good team. So it's it's going to be interesting to see if Line a really outpaces Matthews in the point production. I wonder how long until we get the hot takes that you know maybe the maybe the Leafs made the wrong decision. I I do not think they made the wrong decision. I think we are going to see Matthews go on another run here very soon. You look at things like uh, possession. And I mean, that line for the Leafs is obviously their best possession line uh, by far. They're at 57, 58%, maybe a little bit lower after the LA game. Uh, You look at their share of the high danger scoring chances, it is extremely high. It's probably one of the best lines in the league in that department. So not time to panic yet, for sure. What do you think of, I think William Neilanders had like a really interesting start to the year. Um, His skill is obvious to watch. He passes the puck better than I thought he did. Like he he sees the ice really well, uh, but like in that LA game, he was not noticeable at all. He was dropped to the fourth line. He played twelve minutes, I think, a season low. 
again, like we've talked about this before, I think that's going to be kind of like an underlying plot to watch how Babcock handles things like that. Because one thing we've seen with, with someone like Mitch Marner, he is competitive like all the time. When he loses the puck, one of the things that's fascinating to me is watch when he loses the puck, he's like a dog who just wants to go get it back. Like he immediately starts chasing the guy who took it off him or, or, or wherever it goes. I wanted to ask you though about his play so far and this idea that kind of persisted for a while before he was drafted, even after he was drafted, is he too small to play in the league? When do you think that issue will die and people will stop making it part of the conversation? I think we've seen teams not think about it as much, but do you think we're at a point where size is irrelevant or we're not there yet? He probably should be dead already. I mean, given the way that the impact that Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Kane and I think it was uh, Sean McKenzie was from Sportsnet the other day was saying to us that like I mean Sidney Crosby's not a very big guy either. I mean like there's there's a lot of smaller Kucherov, Tyler Johnson, go on and on and on. I, I thought it was funny at the beginning of the year I put together that list of of ranking the teams by height and weight and age and all those things. The shortest team in the league this year was Philadelphia and the Flyers have typically tried to be like a big grinding team. Well, I think Ron Hextall has realized that he needs to change the way that they play. You look at them this year, they're one of the better possession teams in the league. They've injected a lot of youth. They're they're using that Konechny kid who looks fantastic. You know, that's... The, the thing the LA game really, really showed to me was the difference in styles between the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. And at the end of that game, I got a direct message on Twitter from a player in the league who said, you know, it's a different, what LA is playing, what they're doing is just different than the Eastern Conference. And it makes you think you look at the Leafs personnel, like they're, they're a really bad match for the Kings. Like they don't have a lot of answers. The only way they could have won that game is by trying to like outskill them. And like, but it's, you think about players like Nylander, and he's just he's just a bad fit in in that game against a team like that. But I think that's going to change, like as they get better and they become a better team. Like look at Tampa. Tampa is kind of one of those teams that uses its skill, uses its speed. And LA, like they just beat you up. And I don't know. I think that team is really interesting. LA to see kind of where they go because they're big. Their core is aging. Like Kopitar, I think is twenty nine, and obviously really good. They've got Brown sign. They've got Quick sign. They've got Doughty sign, which is fine. Anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent. But I just think uh, with Marner in particular, you know, you talk to some of the players about him, and they say he's never in situations where he has to use his size. Like in, in certain situations, like Van Riemsdyk was saying, it's hard to check guys like him because they're so small. They're so quick. They're so shifty. They're really good on their edges. He compared him to Kane, to Goudreau, to kind of that class. I, I just think it's changing. But I wonder uh, if teams still have that, I don't know, like that underlying belief that you need size. Like you'd rather have a guy be bigger if all was equal. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily the way it needs to be. A uh, couple weeks back, I guess it wasn't a couple weeks, but Kadri versus McDavid was kind of a thing just because of how the night progressed. You know, McDavid didn't find the score sheet. Kadri had a couple goals. Overtime winner kind of shut him down. Was that kind of, like you and I have discussed his role before, was that kind of perfectly attuned to why they have him in that place and why he is a good fit in that role? You wrote a story a bit about that. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I was talking to some of the players on the team about why Kadri's so good in that role and what makes him a fit there. And 
it's kind of the things you're talking about with Marner, where it's like the tenacity away from the puck and the competitiveness level. And, you know, it, it it's funny. You, I went back and looked really closely at, at the games that, that Kadri's had. I mean, he was matched hard against McDavid, against the Ryan O'Reilly line uh, versus Buffalo, and uh, against uh, uh, the Sedins, obviously, against Vancouver. And we all know what happened at the end of that game where he got uh, thrown out of the game for the hit on, on Daniel. But uh, those hard matches, it's it's not like the possession was unbelievable. Like, Kadri's possession this year is, it's it's okay. But given the fact of where they're they're starting a lot of their shifts in the defensive zone, they're always playing hard matches against the other team's top lines. He's playing with Komarov, and he played five games with Mahalik. And it's not like he's had the best line mates. They basically used him in a role where it's like, let's try and neutralize the other team's best players. Let's try and spend. And, and they're, you know, when Kadri's on the ice, they're spending 52, 53% of the time in the offensive zone, which is pretty good. And they're not getting badly outscored when that line's on the ice. And I think that Babcock wants at least one of his centers who could fill that role. And Kadri's really the only one that makes sense until Matthews is ready for it. And I don't think Matthews is ready for it yet, but I think that that's probably what they want to get there within the next two years, and then all of a sudden Matthews will be the guy taking the tough assignments. Kadri will be a second-line center that can kind of provide a lot of offense against second lines, and who knows who their their third-line center is going to be at that point. I mean, maybe it'll be Nylander. I don't, I don't know. It's interesting because, like, you look at Kadri's year so far, and some of the talk with media, and I don't understand this, is like, this is something different, and he's playing differently, and part of it is... He's scoring, you know, and, and Luck is, like, finally on his side. Like, you look at his shooting percentage so far, it's sky high. I think he has six goals. I don't I don't know how long it took him to get to six goals last year, but it would have taken a while. Um, but it will be interesting, like you mentioned, in the next couple of years, what eventually happens if Matthews grows into that role. Maybe Kadri starts playing with more skilled players, and he obviously has skill. And I think it's it's sort of similar to me, and not exactly the same, but how they use Riley right now, how they're just like loading him with defensive responsibility, penalty killing, top lines, and they're basically ignoring power play. And they're, they're, they basically said, you know, don't worry about how much offense you're producing. They just want him to kind of get that side of his game squared off, which I think, I don't know, like long-term, I, I kind of think the strategy makes sense. I think you have to get the buy-in of the player. Like, don't you think you would have to, Mike Babcock said, like he talked to Riley about it, that you're not going to be playing on the power play. You're not going to be getting as many points as maybe you want. And maybe that's why they handed him the contract that they did last summer. And same thing with Kadri. I was kind of thinking last year that maybe those guys were in super tough roles and the way they used Riley because it was a contract year, but apparently not because they've done it again this year. So I thought maybe it was part of like a long-term strategy where they knew they were going to be bad last year. They didn't want Riley to pile up 49 points and all of a sudden be worth, you know, be able to say he's worth this huge contract, but they're doing the same thing again this year. And I think what they want to see with Riley, what they want him to develop into is to make sure that he's a top pair defenseman in all respects, you know, not just a, 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 I mean, one-dimensional is going way too far because obviously he's not one-dimensional, but like they want him to be as good defensively as offensively, and he's got work to do in that regard, and I don't know for sure if he's going to get there or not. Like, you know, the L.A. game, I mean, the L.A. game was a tough game for most players on the Leafs, but Riley's in that situation, like up against a guy like Kopitar. I mean, it's 
I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if he gets there. I know that a lot of the analytics guys, when they look at Riley, they really like his ability to to push the puck up the ice. He's very good at the zone exits. He's very good at at, at zone entries, at, at, run, at leading the breakout. I almost wonder if you could use that on the power play. I mean, I know the power play has been good, but I think that he could be, he, he sh- probably should be there. And I look at the way that the defense is struggling, and I just wonder if Riley could play a little bit more than he is. What's He's at like 22 minutes right now. I mean, I think he can probably play 23 or a little bit more than that, but he's had some struggles in the defensive zone. He's he's facing other teams' top lines. Maybe it makes sense to try and keep him fresh and, and continue to learn how to shut down those players. But I think that's exactly what they're saying. They're saying, like, we don't, care about that stuff right now like it and and i think it's kind of a recognition of where they're at you know like if you're if you're giving your team your absolute best chance to win he's on your power play right like but to me it's like a a recognition of where they are in the development chain not great still trying to get better and i i feel like they feel like if they can get that part of his game kind of squared off eventually they can just add him to the power play he'll pick it up and he'll be kind of more rounded uh, which I don't know. I, I think it makes sense. I think what's interesting to change gears a little bit, um, to look at some of their depth forwards, Leo Komarov has kind of had a so-so quiet start. Obviously it changes when he's not scoring like he did last year. He's signed for one more year. Do you think they start looking at trading him this year? What do you think his value is? Do you think he's a guy they hang on to and just say, you know what? He's a good veteran for the team to have around. He's someone who can play with Kadri. He's a unique player. What would you do with Leo Komarov? Yeah, I would look to move him. I mean, they're running into a situation where they've gonna, they're going to have too many forwards. And I look at what's happening with the Marlies and the way that, you know, Kapanen's had a very good start. Uh, Leipzig looks like a guy who should be playing in the NHL. So, you know, I think that they're going to be able to potentially get a good asset for Leo Komarov. I think his value is probably, you know, I mean, the, 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 the part of the problem I think right now with what the Leafs have is, you're right, Babcock liked, likes having that system where he's got like a grinder mixed in with some of his skill players. So I just, I look at the ice time and second among forwards on the team is Komarov. Third among forwards on the team is Hyman. Like there's there's a lot of ice time going to to those those grinder guys yeah but i'm assuming that's including power, uh, penalty kill and those guys kill a lot of penalties but what i think this kind of gets to and you mentioned some of the guys with the marlies is a mistake that they made in the summer and it seemed like a mistake then and it seems like it's more of a mistake now and that's signing matt martin for four years like you did not need to do that and now it's becoming more and more apparent you look at some of the possession stats they're not very good he's not producing offense which isn't a surprise he hits a lot that's great he defends his teammates. That's fine. But they don't really, they don't need him. And now, you know, they're getting to a point where they're going to have to get rid of somebody and lose an asset because they wanted to sign Matt Martin for four years. And also that doesn't create a spot for someone, you know, like Leipzig or Kapanen. The other thing that stands out to me with Martin is it doesn't really look like he fits into the Babcock system. Like he's not a great skater. He's not good at handling the puck. He's not a good possession player. I don't like that fourth line has been a problem all year. Again, like it seemed like last year they, I'm trying to think who they had in the fourth line. I mean, it, it changed so much during the year, but it seemed like they did a little bit better at having some of their death players be better possession players and not be black holes. Now, since they brought in Ben Smith and made him the center in that fourth line, Ben Smith is running at like 37, 38% possession. Like it's as bad as it was with Jared Smithson and, 
And, you know, it used to be with Cole Knorr and Fraser McLaren. I gave those guys a really hard time when they were at like 35%. Ben Smith is not that much better than those guys right now. I mean, it's only been eight games, but like you don't want to be those guys, Martin and Ben Smith and uh, Soshnikov, I guess, has been on that line quite a bit. Those guys are playing against other teams' fourth lines. You shouldn't be getting beaten up there. And they've been giving up goals. That line has been giving up goals against L.A., I th- there were at least two where Ben Smith was a part of and some of the other games we've seen where Martin's been on the ice or they're giving up a lot of shots. They're getting badly outshot. They're spending a lot of time in the defensive zone. They're not doing what you want a fourth line to do. And you're stuck with Matt Martin probably for four years doing that. Well, and, and they box themselves in, right? Like what, what's his, what's his cap hit? I'm trying to remember. Is it 2.5? 2.5. Yeah. Like you, you, now you have that spot kind of tied up and now there isn't really a need to have him there. I think part of the problem is um, Babcock likes on that fourth line center spot. At least this is what I've perceived so far. He kind of likes to have that like old school kind of checking center who can kill penalties. Like look how quickly Peter Holland was in and then out of that spot. Like he doesn't really like, he kind of wants, he likes to call them like hard players. Like, look back to Detroit, Luke Glendening, Luke just like a guy who's kind of gritty, who will kill penalties, someone he can, you know, lean on in, in defensive situations. But they're kind of, it's, it's kind of like an old way of thinking. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, do, do you see any of that with Babcock? Yeah, 100%. I was thinking about this a lot with the piece that I put together today, and I was looking at Detroit. I mean, Drew Miller's another one. You know, Ablocator's a good one. There's, there's a whole bunch of them. I mean, there was a whole bunch of them. Uh, uh, Dan Cleary. Dan Cleary is a very good one where... And and the problem that people in Detroit say with Dan Cleary and these guys is that Babcock, even when they weren't getting the results, was so loyal to these guys, guys that he liked. He's been so loyal with the Leafs to Matt Hunwick, to Ben Smith, who he brought back because he had him last year, even though if you look at the numbers and the results, Ben Smith wasn't getting the results last year. So... Uh, the Leafs aren't good enough to give away to have a, a 37 or 38 percent possession player fourth line like they're not good enough to give back that much there and they need a fourth line that chips in a goal once in a while like the way that it's constructed right now I mean they're barely I think Sashnikov probably scored Sashnikov came out of the gate really really great in his first couple of games and I think he got a goal there but I don't I just I don't like what they're contributing I don't like that it feels like Every other line is being dragged down a little bit, with the exception of maybe JVR, Bozak, and Marner. And that's probably why that JVR, Bozak, Marner line has looked so good some nights, is because they don't really have a defensive. They don't. They don't have like a, an anchor on that line. If I mean anchor's a bit of a strong term, but you you know what I mean. And I think I think it is outdated. Yeah, yeah. I think if you go back like six, seven years ago, and you have a team as good as the Red Wings, you can afford to have like a fourth line that's built that way. The way the NHL is now, I mean, you look at the way Pittsburgh won with three really good lines and a fourth line that was was uh, Kunak, Kunakle and Cullen, and I can't remember who the third guy was, but like they were really contributors. They were scoring some important goals, and I don't think the Leafs have that right now. It kind of brings to mind... And it's not entirely the same, but uh, you wrote about it a lot at the time with Randy Carlisle and Jay McClement is sometimes coaches tend to overuse kind of those players that they really feel like they can trust. And it's not the same with Babcock because it's not like he's overplaying Smith. Like he's not playing Smith ahead of, I don't know, Matthews or Kadri or something like that, where Babcock or Carlisle was playing McClement ahead of some guys. Like he was playing at him. I think he was playing like 18 minutes a night. 
Um, but it would be more interesting to me if they had like a fourth line of, let's say, Hyman, Komarov, and I don't know, Holland or Griffith or something like that where they're, you kind of have some different elements. You have some elements that maybe can help you offensively. Maybe they're not at that stage yet. Maybe they'll get to that point. But having Martin's contract locked in, like it was a mistake, obviously, at the time. And I just think it's going to get worse, especially as he ages and the team gets better and the team gets to a point where, you know, they're challenging for a playoff spot and they're in a playoff spot and then they're competing. They didn't necessarily need him. Um, Is there something you want to add? I was just going to like Martin's been, he's looked worse than I thought he was going to. I thought he was going to be, he looks kind of like, I I know he's not just an enforcer, but that's kind of what he looks like a little bit. I mean, maybe it's that the NHL has like gone so much faster the last four or five years that, you know, guys that I don't, I, I just, I haven't been impressed with him at all. He keeps the flies off his, his kind of Babcock's defense, but you don't need that nowadays, which I think you and I would both acknowledge. Um, couple other things. Uh, first, Jonas Enroth, uh, he hasn't played a lot, so it's you don't want to make any grand judgments about him so far. And he's played, I think, back, a couple of his starts have been in the second half of back-to-back. He came in in relief of Frederick Anderson against the Kings. He got hit for three. Did you expect to see better from Enroth? So far, or I don't know, it's, it, it feels like it's way too early to make any kind of pronouncements about Jonas Enroth, just given the starts, just given how, how little he's played. But were you expecting better? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the story that I wrote at the beginning of the year, like I, if you look at Jonas Enroth's NHL career, he's had some really good years as a backup. He's had some years, like in LA, I think his save percentage last year was like 918 or 9. It was, it was good. It was like above average. And... You pull out that one year where Buffalo tanked and basically wasn't trying to play hockey and was like a 38% possession team or whatever, and he was getting shelled every night. You pull out that one year save percentage, and he's like a 913, 914-915 save percentage guy. Like I kind of thought that Enroth could come in, and if Anderson continued to struggle, which I would argue he is continuing to struggle. I know some people are saying that it's behind him now and whatever, but I did not think he looked very good on some of those goals against LA. I still think he looks like he's guessing a little bit or that... He's just not the calm, composed, big goalie that we were told that he was going to be. Uh, I thought that maybe uh, Enroth could surprise, and everyone says that he's such a competitor and that he's better than people think, and he needs an opportunity and all these things, and he just has not looked very good. And I don't know. I don't think this is just the Leafs giving up grade A scoring opportunities, although there, there is a little bit of an element to that, but just neither goalie has impressed me so far. And if you want to look at statistically where the Leafs are worse than last year, save percentage is a pretty big one. But they're not going to demote anyone to the Marlies on a conditioning stint. That's not going to happen. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I'm glad you brought up Anderson because uh, he had been on, I think, four or five straight starts with two or less. He got hit, obviously, pretty hard against the Kings. The start before, I don't think he looked that great either. I don't think he gave up that much, but he didn't look great and that's going to be kind of a year-long thing for them to assess and kind of he he better be good like again like if you're betting on a guy five years he better be good uh one more thing before we go um it's kind of like a i don't know if a cult following kind of thing with exists with frankie Corrado, but it doesn't make sense like it, it it's it doesn't seem right to treat a guy like they're treating him 
it's very, 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 and I can't say very enough, clear that Mike Babcock is not in the Frankie Corrado fan club. Just not a fan. And that's the the numbers last year looked okay. Um, he looks like he could be an NHL. His possession was good. Like he looks like he's an NHL player, but clearly, 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 Mike Babcock is not a fan. And if that's the case, and you feel like he's an asset, which it seems like management does, you can't have both. Like if the coach doesn't like him and the coach is here for a long time, I don't know what you're holding on to him for. So it it feels like the right thing to do for the player is to put him on waivers, let him go and find an opportunity elsewhere and play. Because clearly, he is not part of Mike Babcock's plans. Now, maybe that changes after the trade deadline again when they trade Roman Polak or they trade Matt Hunwick or something like that. But it doesn't feel like he has a place under Mike Babcock, and I'm not sure how that changes in time. Okay, so I've done deep dive research on this, which I haven't written about yet. I looked at players that were healthy scratch the most in the league last year. Corrado was in the top, I think the top 20. There was something like... 29 players that were scratched 30 or more times last year so it's not uncommon like most teams have one guy but a lot of those are veteran guys so you can about half of them maybe a little bit more than half are younger players which I would say were 25 and under who were scratched a lot last year and then I looked at the players that went through that situation last year that were the the 15 to 17 guys that were younger players that were scratched 30 plus times last year this year None of them is in the situation that Corrado is in. None of them are sitting out all these games. No one as young as Corrado is sitting games this year for a second year in a row. I couldn't find any. Jamie Oleksiak in Dallas is the only one that's like a little bit comparable. And he's played some games. But Corrado is the only player in the league, the only young player that sat 30 plus games last year that hasn't played yet this year. Most of the guys that sat a lot last year are in the minors now either with the team that sat them last year or in another organization, or they've been traded to another team and they're, 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 they're playing a couple of games in the NHL. Like I can understand why there's a situation where maybe this happens. If especially if you're a good team, if you're like Washington, I think Galiev was a guy that ended up in this situation for them last year. You're a good team. It's hard to work these young guys in the lineup. You don't want to put them on waivers. You don't want to lose them, but you really can only do that for a year because of what you're saying. I mean, it's not really fair to the player and it's not going to help you get the most out of the player. If that's what you're doing with the player, like how does Corrado still a very young guy? I mean, he still has the ability to get better. I did a deep dive. I was looking at all his numbers. He played, I think he played 39 games to the Leafs last year. His possession, I think was, I want to say 56%. And I know he was playing as a depth guy, but you compare that to what Hunwick or Marincin's numbers this year are terrible. He has had, he Marincin has been brutal and I I was a big Marincin backer I thought he played excellent in the last whatever 25 30 games of the year last year he doesn't have it this year so why not work Corrado in I mean play I, I don't I just I don't understand and if you're not going to work him in wave him move on from him either play him with the Marlies or let another team use him how they see fit because that's what every other team in the league did with guys that sat a lot last year well and at some point doesn't he stop being an asset like if you're not playing him he is not an asset to you and if you're not going to trade him like I just don't know what value he's holding right now and they know their coach isn't going anywhere and clearly the coach doesn't have a place for him you don't develop a player by sitting him in the press box every game for months and months and months and this doesn't look like it's going to end unless they have like a spate of injuries on defense it ain't ending 
So it's a weird situation with Frankie Corrado. Um, and, and it brings me to something before we go that I want to ask you about. We've seen organizations in the NHL offer too much, um, I don't know what the word, maybe empathy or they, like they've been too kind to their players, which you can't really be in a cap world. Like I look at the Blackhawks signing Brent Seabrook long-term, uh, what the Kings did with Mike Richards, where they just take it a little bit too far with the loyalty. I wonder if, if situations like this with the Leafs, we see, we saw it with Malay Mahalik, um, if they've taken it too far in the other direction where you're, where everybody is just kind of a number and, and kind of an asset. Like, what do you think the balance team have, teams have to strike with that kind of stuff in terms of how they treat their players in situations like this? That's such a tough question because, I mean, on one hand, it is a business. And, like, if guys aren't performing, then I think you're right to treat them that way. But on the other hand, there's a relationship side to all of this. And I just – I wonder, like, if, if – if you're players around the league, are you going to want to come to Toronto if you're going to end up like Lupul or you're going to end up like Mahalik or you're going to end up like Brooks Like or Roby Da? I mean, in some of those situations, it's like, okay, like Roby Da couldn't play anymore. Like, I mean, but like Brooks Like can play. I think Milan Mahalik can play. I like, I think these guys can be depth players on NHL teams. It's just like, like if Brooks Like was making 1.2 million right now, he'd be in the NHL somewhere. If Milan Mahalik was making 1.2 million, if, if Joffrey Lupul was making 1.2 million, they would probably be playing somewhere. Or at the very least, they would be bouncing between the minors and the NHL for, for some team. It's just, I don't know. It's it's such an interesting situation with the Leafs because they're trying to develop both at the AHL and the NHL level. So there's just no room for these guys at all. And I don't know. It's it it something about it feels wrong. I think it's what's best probably for the Leafs. And I understand. Like I, I think you do have to be somewhat cold hearted. But I know for a fact that around the league that players and agents are talking about it. You know. And I just you're right. I mean you have to try and strike the right balance where you're not going to get in a situation where the Le- it's going to hurt the Leafs down the road as well. Like you don't, I think you want to be fair. Mm-hmm. Like you want to be, I think that's the biggest thing. You want to be fair. And you can make the argument that maybe they haven't been a hundred percent fair to some of those guys. Well, and Corrado is like the perfect example of that. He, and to his credit, like he has said nothing but good things publicly in a terrible situation for him like it's impossible what does he do there's literally nothing he can do except show up at practice practice hard and hope he gets in and even when he does get in he probably isn't staying in for that long so anyway that's just kind of the uh, it's not a big issue but it's 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 an issue i think that might be coming to an end soon like i think they might like like with josh levo's got to have to come and and join the team and they're going to be over the limit unless, I mean, they could send Sashnikov or Connor Brown or someone down, but I think what might happen this weekend when Levo comes and joins the roster and they, they're at 24 players and someone's got to go, I think that you might see somebody on waivers. I don't know who it's going to be, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Corrado or Peter Holland or one of these guys that they just haven't been using. And and I think that they would probably be picked up around by, some, by another team around the league. It, my, sense is that, my sense is that there are a few teams around the league that see value in those guys more than what the Leafs see. And... I mean, not that you could trade them for a lot, but if you waive them, I think that there could be teams that pick them up. Okay, well, I think that's about it for us. Thank you to Andrew Nolan for putting this together. We need to figure out how to get two mics, 
as you can probably tell, we have one mic, which is probably... I don't know, you probably don't know the Nas song, but there's a song called One Mic. Maybe that should be our intro music. But anyway, if you have an idea for how we should do this, send James a note on Twitter. Uh, We will be back in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening.